guys, and uh, welcome to Restore Church. Uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name's Roger, and uh, I'm just, one, so grateful that you're here and thankful that you're here. Uh, if you're new to Restore Church, uh, there are some plenty of ways to get connected and to fill out uh, some information. we just like to know who we're hanging out with this morning. Uh, if you don't know anything about me, I think the first thing you should know is how in love, well, two things. I'm in love with God, love with my wife, and sports. I really love sports. I don't really talk about sports much in my sermons. Uh, this past year was the first Super Bowl that I can remember in my life, I'm 31 years old, that I can remember not watching. Speaking of being 31, you would think that I would start planning ahead for this daylight savings time nonsense. Can we just keep it this way now and don't change it? Can we just, we can start a petition or something for that, because this is nuts. Uh, you guys are much more responsive than the first service. First service was hardly awake. Anyway, um, this was the first Super Bowl that I missed, and, and the reason I missed it is because there was a group of us that were headed to Savannah Christian Church, uh, which isn't, well, it's called Compassion Christian Church now in Savannah, Georgia, uh, for what's called the Next Level Conference. This year's Super Bowl champs, in case you're wondering, were the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, in order for the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl, they had to get past the Lord's least favorite team, the Patriots. Okay? And it was this up-and-comer um, Patrick Mahomes playing against Tom Brady, whoever he might be. And it was like a rivalry. I mean, like the, the, the papers were talking about it. I don't, anybody read the newspaper? All right, yeah, so... When I say the papers, it was like, that's how people pass their news at one point in time. Isn't it? Uh, how about this? Facebook was talking about it. Instagram was talking about it. Uh, ESPN, it was all over. It was the Chiefs versus the Patriots. Now, Patriots are known for doing everything the right way. It's actually called the Patriot way. Now, can you imagine the Kansas City Chiefs, the, the eventually would become Super Bowl champions. They show up. And have to wear high school football teams' football helmets. Wouldn't that be crazy? Well, it almost happened. Kansas City Chiefs boarded the plane. They flew. They, they're going through all their, their they, they, they land uh, in Foxborough where the Patriots play. They're going through all of their pregame routine and rituals only to realize that 35 of the NFL players, their equipment didn't make it onto the plane. So their stuff is still in Kansas City. And their backup plan was this. There was a local high school who had the same colors. They had the same white face mask and almost, almost the same mascot on the, on the side of their helmet, except that it was an M their backup plan was to use high, a high school football team's helmets for those 35 players. Luckily, it was just an oversight, and the 35 players, their equipment did make it. It was just put in a place that it shouldn't have been put. Here's uh, the point of this story. Little things matter. Details matter. I'm not a detailed person. And so probably... The people in the room who are not detailed persons, people can tell you that details matter. The little things matter. The small things matter. 
the boring, mundane, tedious things that matter. We had the Next Level Conference. There were 10 of us there, which had blown my mind that we were able to take leaders and spouses and 10 of us to go to this next level conference and and we go there to, to hear about how to take your church to the next level how to take yourself and your team and your leadership to the next level and and here I am a leader of of leaders and I'm so honored and humbled to be able to lead this group but I'm sitting here listening to a church of 9,000 people talking about how they're going to take a step in faith and starting a new campus and here's this cynical and sinful jealous Roger who's like well when you got 9,000 people you can start a campus we heard about a church that had over 10,000 people that took on another I don't know like 10 million dollars in debt in order to to build this new elaborate building I'm thinking man when you got 10,000 people if we had one of those people give one dollar to restore uh, in one month, that equals our operating budget for one month, one person, 10,000 people. So yeah, you should be able to take on $10 million in debt for this enormous project, and you're a cynical, jealous Roger sitting here soaking this all in. We go to breakout sessions or workshops, and we hear about executive ministers and, and, um, and neighborhood ministers and assistant ministers and the assistants to the assistant ministers. They had all these people on staff, and they talk about, man, this leap of faith that they're taking and this next step of, of changing their, their, um, their position to be more specific or more broad. And here's cynical, jealous Roger thinking, well, yeah, when you have all of these people to do this, of course you can do that. It's these huge things. Of course you can take on another $10 million. Of course you can start a brand new campus from nothing. Of course you can have all of these staff members change their positions on the drop of a dime because you have all of these things. These are huge things you can do. And uh, here I am sitting with our team. They were sitting in the row in front of me, and I felt it. I felt this sense of being just overwhelmed with the idea that we could never do something that big. The, the overwhelming feeling that I, I could never lead to do something so huge. Um, and at the same opportunity, at the same time, I felt like, now I've never heard God's audible voice speak to me. Uh, if he did, I'm just, to be honest, I would pee my pants. And so I hope he never does it while I'm preaching. That would just not be a great lesson in humility. There are other ways to do that, Lord, in case you were listening. Um, I'm, I, I ne I ne I've never heard, like, God's audible voice. But I did sense the Holy Spirit telling me it's not about the big gestures. This is, this is what I felt like I heard is that we leave the big gestures to God while we take care of our little mundane small things. Let me say it a little bit better. We let God do the big gestures while we maintain faithfulness in the small ones, which is boring. And it's not always fun. And man, I, I love big. I love to, to take like the, the unachievable and achieve it. The, the goals that are too high, I want to crush them. 
I love doing the big gestures, but in our Christian faith, in our walk with God, and even in our, in, even in, in our, our normal day activities, I think God calls us, I know that God calls us to be faithful in the little things. I mean, how many times have, have we heard about someone having some massive experience with God and say, why, why not me? How many times have we heard someone who finds a relationship and now they're going to get married and we say, why not me? How, how come we find someone's marriage who gets put back together and we say, why not me? God, why can't you do it for me? How many times do we, we, try, we make the, the switch or we make the transition? I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And, and now we're looking for all of a sudden a, a dramatic transformation in our lives like overnight. We're looking for a Saul like experience in the book of Acts, or, or how many times do we overnight look for an attitude adjustment? Well, all the parents of teenagers do that every night. They pray for an attitude adjustment. Um, but how many times do we pray that God would just switch, change this in my spirit, and we look for an overnight thing? How many times do we, we hope that that one day, that, that habit, all of a sudden is going to be gone in a matter of 24 hours? Or we come to Jesus having a, a lifetime of sinful desires, and all of a sudden we expect them to subside immediately. And then time and time again, we find ourselves disappointed when God decides not to do it. See, instead, having faith in God, we need to let him do the dramatic transformations. Let, let him deal with our teenagers' attitudes adjustments. Because we know as grown folks, we never have attitudes that need adjusting. We need to let him get rid of our habits and our addictions. But meanwhile, we as Christ followers, we do the little things. One thing, one step at a time. I mean, getting in shape is just one workout at a time, eventually leading to our hashtag gains. Developing a relationship happens one date at a time until eventually you lead, it will lead to a lifetime of them. After Hurricane Florence, Restore Church took action right away, right away immediately. And we drove thousands of nails and drove hundreds of screws as we eventually built uh, almost 20 sheds for families who didn't know us, uh, who, who we didn't know, but we were trying to show the love of Jackson or the, the love of God into uh, the city of Jacksonville. I mean, it's, it's little things, those nails and those screws that held those sheds together. And I want to stand here proud as ever. That next Sunday, we're going to have our third birthday. Restore Church is going to make it to our third year. And it has been a pleasure and an honor to lead this church. Because for three years, our church has done the boring, the mundane, the tedious work. We've showed up every Sunday morning and drug stuff out of a trailer. We met at the conference center. Some of you will remember this. The batteries on our truck that we used to have were dead, so our hydraulic lift wouldn't go up and down. So we couldn't get the things out of the truck. So, y'all, we passed everything that we used with our hands down an assembly line out of the truck. For three years, we've drugged stuff out of a trailer and put it back in. For three years, we have built sheds. Well things like it. For three years, we have served when we didn't feel like it. We have given when we didn't have it. We have loved beyond reason. Every Sunday morning, there are people who sit in these seats that you're sitting in, 
before anybody gets here before the first service and they pray for you. The row that you're sitting in this week, someone sat in that row and prayed for you. It's little things. Someone prayed for your row, for your seat. And so I, I can say, man, that, that I'm so excited and proud to, have, to be able to lead and to preach every week to this church. Because this church, if we, if we are not good at anything, well, we're good at a lot of things. Um, eating. Uh, sarcasm. We're really good at being late. <clears throat> Sorry. If you feel bad, that's the Holy Spirit, not Roger. Okay, maybe a little bit. Um, did I say eating? We're good at that. Um, and we're good at packing a trailer. We're good at anything. If we're good at anything, though, it's, it's the little things. And that's what makes me proud to be the pastor of Restore, especially with what we're talking about today. Uh, so we started a series a couple weeks ago called Love Notes. And, we, and then the school decided to participate. Do you see this? See how they did that? That's the Holy Spirit working through their year-round schedule. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, uh, <laughs> so we, we started this series a couple weeks ago uh, called Love Notes. And, and it was just an opportunity for us as a church to, to return back to, uh, to the foundation of love. What does the Bible tell us about how to love? What does the Bible tell us where love comes from and ultimately which is this week we're going to learn that love that God is love so if you have your bible and you want to open up to the book of first John that's where we're going to hang out this morning we're going to be in chapter four look you can follow along on the restore church app the Version bible app there are bibles on the inside of of the the rows here um, it's also going to be on the screen and so you can follow along there and and I want to tell you before we get started uh here, there are times that um, uh, there are times that preaching is tough. I mean, here's what's amazing: Sunday comes every week. It's like without fail. Can't we get like one week without one Sunday? But it comes every <laughs> every week. And sometimes, man, preaching is tough. I found this week to be tough. Um, I, I found like. Because it's such a huge idea that we're going to talk about. And it's a lot. So get ready, because again, just like last week, we're going to talk about some broad strokes. But I, I want to say that this is tough for me because I don't quite have it. It's easy for me to preach about something that I got control on, like that I'm good at. But this is something I don't, I don't quite like grasp. And so it's this has been a hard sermon for me to preach. And if you read the first service, it was kind of obvious. Um, and so we're, here we are, the end of John, 1 John, starting in chapter 4. Now, remember this, that John started this church. We think it's the church that meets uh, in the city of Ephesus. And, and John, who was younger then, is much older now. So he sits back in his recliner, if they had recliners then. Uh, how about this? He lays back on some leaves on the floor. They did that. And he's, he's much older now. He's much more mature and more wise. And, and so he's, he, he tells them last week. Remember last week we talked about fighting. We have to fight for love. And then this week he's like, man, how do I wrap all this up? And so that's what we're going to get. He, he, he wants to, he first tells his church 
Hey, so, so remember, he writes this letter to his church, and there are people there in the city who are trying to teach them things that are not true. Right? They're trying to teach them that you can follow Jesus, but you also have to do these other things. You can follow Jesus, um, but remember, Jesus isn't real. You just imagined him. We all did. And so he says to them in the very beginning part of 1 John chapter 4, test it. If you hear it and God's name's attached to it, test it. Hey, I want to tell you as your pastor here, just because you hear me say it. Well, let me say this differently. Whenever you hear God's name preached, TV, radio, podcast, sermon, or at Restore, test it. Um, your grandma used to teach in Sunday school. Test it. Um, you had an experience, and, 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 or, or you've got these feelings, and you're mad because the preacher said this in the sermon, and I'm never going back to that church again. Why are you mad? Why are you angry? Why are you sad? Why are you excited? Test all of those things, but do you want to know how to test them? We test everything through God's word here. I mean, this is our foundation. It, it, is, it is our go-to. We come back to this. And this trumps everything. It trumps experience. It trumps feelings. It trumps and that's what he says here in the first couple verses. Hey, if you hear Jesus' name attached to it, test it. But only through God's word, only through now the apostles' teachings, which we have. Now we get to verse 7. Now let's, let's read together. Dear friends, let us love one another, for, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There's the first time. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. All right, we've been building from the very beginning of 1 John to this. But we've been trying for some time now to get to the foundation of what love looks like. Now remember, when old man John wrote this, he didn't expect them to do a four-week series called Love Notes. They would read it all at one time, digest it all at the same time. So here they are reading this, story, or reading this letter, getting to the end of it, and here it is. We're going to see twice in this section that God is love, that love comes from God. Not that God is like love, or that love and God are some kind of analogy or metaphor, but that God is love. And as John begins here, he tells us that true love comes from God, and, and through God's example is how we can love one another. And, and for a long time, I, as a, a youth minister, young preacher, and now old preacher, I don't know, like, I've really wrestled with what does this mean, that God is love? I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't go around saying, I God you, right, to people that I love. I'd say, I love you to the people I love. And so what does it mean for the Bible to say that God is love? And when you think about love and you think about Bible passages, even the person who 
is new to church or, or, or doesn't like church would still understand or would still remember or know 1 Corinthians 13. It's read at, at most every wedding. Um, if, if it wasn't read at your wedding, let's redo it, okay, because you should have had this read at your wedding. Um, here it is. Uh, most of you probably have it memorized. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but it rejoices in truth. It, it always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, it always perseveres. And that kind of love will never fail. And so the, one of the ways that I, I used to teach through with my high school students is that you can always replace God's name with all these gestures, that God is patient, God is kind, you get it. But here's what I want you to notice right here, that as we do that, as we assign these attributes to God, check out the, verse, the verbs, though, that God is patient. Not was patient, but he's run out of patience with you. Or that God will be patient once you can get it all together. Stop screwing up so much, and then God will be patient. It doesn't say that God was kind, but he isn't anymore because you've kind of, uh, you know, ruined all your second chances. Or, or that God will be kind once you start. God is kind. And he's, he, he always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Check this out. God never fails. And what a huge definition of love. That God is all of that all the time. Look, when people in your life aren't kind to you, God is. When you're not kind to yourself, God is. When you find yourself in a position that you're envious of their marriage, of their job, of their career. You can go back to God as the example. But when you have no one to trust, no one to put your hope in, no one you can rely on, we have a God that will outlast, outlast all those things and will never fail you. You see where we're going now? How God is love? He's consistent. And he's faithful. <clears throat> and when I think that someone can love me that way, my next thought is, I'm not worth that. You know, like, I'm not worth the new mercies that are new every morning. I can't fathom that someone would love me that way, because y'all, I'm messed up. You're not going to believe this, but I sin like every day. I know, hard to believe, but it happens. I push the boundaries of patience and kindness. I, I push the boundaries of, of pride. Um, I just had to apologize to one of our village workers because last Sunday, you ever have one of those days where you show up to work and, and you don't want to be there? You ever have one of those days? No? I need your job. Sheesh. Yeah, you have those days where you just show up and you don't want to be there. 
Um, I had one of those last Sunday. And it's unfortunate that um, that day is a day you stand up and tell people to fight for love. And meanwhile, I'm like, come on, man. You know, like, and that whole morning, I was just in, my goodness, I was in my feelings. I don't know why. had no reason to be. I was just pouty, and someone should have put me in a corner. Okay, I mean, like, stare at the corner, leave us all alone because you're raining on our parade. And people would ask me, hey, everything all right? Hey, you good? And I'm like, and people trying to love me made me even more mad. That's how you know you're miserable. When, and there was, there's someone in the, in the village working, and I, I went up I just like actually before walking up here. I, I had to apologize because I said, hey, I'm about to preach on how love is patient and not prideful and not self-seeking and not rude. And I was all of those things. You know, like, I, I, and then I got up here and talked about fighting for love. And then, you know, that kind of bled into the next couple of days. And I didn't fight all that hard. No, I, I, I was pretty selfish the next couple of days. I, I was pretty easily angered the next couple of days. And I, as your pastor, I just want to tell you, I lost. We're talking about the fight. I lost Monday and Tuesday. And so then I say, God, I don't get this. Like, that you are patient and kind. Why? When will it stop? When will it run out? We get to verse 9 and 10. And I love verse 9. According to verse 9, God sends his son. Why? Uh, Why does he send him into the world? So that we can live through him. Verse 9 sounds great. Verse 10 doesn't. <laughs> that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I, I, I hate, no, I don't hate it now. I used to hate it when people would pay for my meals. Uh, I love it now. It's like awesome. I'll let you pay every time. It, don't, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, we, we can let that... Uh, the check sit there for an hour. I, I can talk, all right, until someone takes the bill. You can pay, pay for my coffee, uh, Freddy's, on, on, you know, whatever, Mexican later today, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I, I, um, I used to hate it when people would pay for my meals. When Aaron, and, when Aaron and I first started dating, I did not know how to keep money in my wallet. You know, it's weird because you, I would have $20, and the next day I only have like $1.34, and I don't remember spending it. Matter of fact, when we first started dating, I was, um, I was 18 years old. I didn't even have a bank account because I didn't need one. Because <laughs> every time I got paid, I didn't keep money long enough to put anything in the bank account. So when we first started dating, Aaron paid for everything. I mean, uh, like baseball tickets to see the Reds. Uh, which aren't worth much anyway. Um, she would pay for our meals. She would uh, pay for basically anything that she could that I could drag her to to pay for me for. But it was frustrating enough. It was so frustrating that in college, these are real things, especially at Christian colleges, because you know you gotta lay down the law. I took a job as a hall monitor, and so. It, <laughs> 
it's a true story. And I got paid $35 a night for two nights a week. So, y'all, I was raking it in. I was making $280 a month. Yeah, I know. You can't believe that, right? It's amazing. Uh, to write down your name if you came in after curfew. So, <laughs> apparently they have those in the Marine Corps, too. <laughs> I just heard. And I'm okay with verse 9. I'm okay with saying, Jesus, uh, I want to live like you. What I don't like is verse 10. God didn't ask me if it was all right to pay the check. You know what I'm saying? God didn't ask me if it was okay for him to give his son for my life. He just did it. He made the payment himself, but it wasn't cash. It was through the life of his son, Jesus. You want to talk about a big gesture that none of us asked for, might I add. God, I, honestly, I would have grabbed the check right away. Like, you can't pay for me. If you've ever left yourself asking, how much does God love me? There's the measure of his love right there in verse 10. And for anybody who has kids... Can you put yourself in his shoes? You can't. But I'm left asking two huge questions right here. And the first one is, how do I pay you back? You know, like, you pay for my check, all right, I'm paying for yours the next time. You guys have had that where you don't really intend to, but you're going to say it anyway. All right, Mom, but the next time you come into town, I'm paying for it. Come on, you both know your line. Just skip it. Uh, how, do I, how do I pay you back? And the second is this, is the sacrifice that God made, is it worth the outcome? Well, I want to tell you, we can never pay back God for that, for such a huge gesture. But we can't, but what we can do is, is listed in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us collectively, and and love is made complete in us collectively. After verse 12, we get to verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us, that he has given us his spirit, and, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Here it is, second time. God is. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us, and whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. Is the sacrifice that God made worth the outcome? Whenever anyone makes a sacrifice, who gets to decide whether the outcome is worth it or not? 
It's the one who makes the sacrifice. The one who is sacrificing gets to decide if the outcome is worth it or not. You pay money to go see a movie, and when you leave, you say, yes, it was good, no, it wasn't. Was the sacrifice of my money worth the outcome of that movie? Is God's sacrifice of his son worth it for you? And I want the sons of God to look at me and the daughters of God to look at me and hear this, that he saw you as worth it. Because it follows up, uh, in, or in verse 13, he tells us, you are so worth it that he decided to put his spirit, God himself, inside of you. He gave us God himself inside of us. Now, in the New Testament, every time someone gets baptized, it's, it's uniquely tied to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so if you have been baptized, completely immersed, you have the Holy Spirit, every time they are connected. I want to also encourage you that if you haven't, if you have not taken that step, man, that is your next step in your faith journey. Because to love like God, which we will see, you need God to do it. There's been a pretty consistent theme throughout the book of 1 John and throughout the gospel of John. So don't get confused. Um, there's John at the beginning of the New Testament. There are four books that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That same John wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And so there's a consistent theme through the Gospel of John, or, or the story of Jesus told by John, and 1 John. And the theme is this, love one another. And I don't know if you're like me, but you think, man, I... Uh, when it comes to loving people, um, sometimes I'm not a very good ambassador of what Jesus lives in. I mean, I'm not a perfect, uh, I'm not perfect at this kind of love. I try, and there are times that I'm really good at it. There are times that I fail miserably. But, I, man, when it comes to like this, I'm imperfect. Uh, I make mistakes I would imagine that you do too. I've hurt people trying to, like, by not loving the way that 1 Corinthians tells us to, by not carrying out these verses. And one task I used to do, uh, so, like, let's just say I was teaching that 1 Corinthians passage through uh, with, my, with teenagers, okay? Not that we're teenagers, but I'm just giving you an example. Um, I, I would say this, like, all right, put God in that spot, okay? Remember, we, we just did that a second ago. And then it would usually be like at the conclusion of the, uh, like, living out a life of love. And I would say, now put your name in there. And I think that's not fair. Because when I think about this, I can't do that. So it would say something like, Roger is patient and, and Roger is kind. By myself, it's more like Roger can be patient. Roger can be kind. Roger can sometimes fight against envy. Roger can at times not boast or, or at times cannot be proud. And while God makes this big gesture in verses 9 and 10 that I'm going to give my son and, 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 uh, as, as your payment, and while that can't be repaid, 
we can begin to love each other in a perfect way. How? By being patient and being kind and not envying and being happy for one another, not boasting and being humble, not dishonoring others and talking about them behind their back. Not self-seeking, but seeking the needs of others. Not easily angered, but extremely, extremely humble. Not keeping records of wrong, but every day is new. Not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in truth. Always protecting the best we can. Always trusting, putting ourselves out there. Always hoping in a faith that's bigger than ourselves. And always persevering. Because a love like that will never fail. But you know how we're able to love? because God allows us to. It says that he first loved us. And in verse 13, we just read that he gave us his spirit. He trusted you with his spirit. He put himself inside of you. And so check this out. The Holy Spirit, if he, he is, but if the Holy Spirit is God and God is love and God is in you, then you have the opportunity, availability, and the ability to love the way that God does. It may not be perfect every time. Actually, there's going to be a lot of times where it won't be. But man, you can do it. And by saying we can, it's just an excuse. And he even says that by choosing not to love, man, you hate your brother and sister when you have the opportunity to love them. Um, and so he, then he talks about this judgment, uh, this day that we're going to stand before God. And what he's saying is if you have the Holy Spirit and the love of God in you, this is not something to be afraid of. No, we can love boldly, and, and we can love strong, and we can love courageously without fear of the day we stand in front of God, but we can do it with confidence because the perfect love that God put in us, it should drive that fear out. And then the end of this section, John reminds us of God's words that said, I loved you first. I loved you before you knew what love looked like. And if God's loved in you, then what do we what ha, do we have to do? What must we do? Love one another. So look at chapter 5. Chapter 4 turns into chapter 5. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his command. In fact, that is love for God, to keep his commands. If you're underlining anything, that would be a good one. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And here it is. I mean, if you, were to, if you were to take all of what we've been building, all of 1 John, and, and like lead it all up to one application, it's those five verses. Love God and keep his commands. Simple, not easy. Love God, keep his commands. Um, sometimes I like to use my imagination when it comes to the Bible. I have very little imagination to use, so hold on. 
I like to use my imagination when it comes to characters. And I imagine John. Now, this is old man John writing 1 John. But there was once a younger John who's fishing with his brother James. They're catching fish, not catching fish. I mean, the highlight of their day, right, is to bring slimy, nasty, but awesome fish in every day, uh, which is the goal of all fishermen. And, uh, like, you know, they're not really leading a life to much significance other than catching fish. Uh, Their biggest claim to fame so far, being young men, are they are known as the sons of thunder. Their dad's name is their claim to fame, that their dad's name is Thunder. Not much going on, and Jesus shows up one day and says, hey, I want you to follow me. I don't know if it was a reputation that was building. I don't know if it was a a holy discontent with the way their life is, but James and John drop everything. They follow Jesus, and they go with him. And the next coming days and months and years are tough. I mean, they are essentially homeless. Jesus at one point says, we don't know where we're going to rest our head. There were times where they had to run for their life as they followed Jesus. There were other times where they felt like they needed to be moving, but Jesus said, let's sit still. I mean, they were following someone else for three years. It was not easy. They didn't know where they were going to eat. It was extremely difficult. There were probably times where James and John thought, man, it would probably be better if we just went back. But. But James got to see Jesus. He got to see Jesus heal people that were ostracized by the rest of the community, put hands on a leper, give give a life back to uh, a woman who doctors were taking advantage of. He he brought dead girls back to life. He He put new eyes back onto a blind man. For John, this... This whole following Jesus thing came less out of following a rabbi toward a religion, but more following a savior to a relationship. That might describe some of us in here. All we know about God is following rules and trying to stay more on the heaven side than the hell. And if Jesus comes back when we're on this side of the line, we're good, but we better not be down here. That's not the way Jesus intended it. It's a relationship with Jesus is good enough. And there's John sitting And in Matthew chapter 22, hearing that the Sadducees, had that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an an expert of the law, he tested Jesus with this question. Now look, this is not a, like, restore Q&A. You ask a question, we tell you the answer about our our church. This is a, we're testing you. And and really, the the balance of Jesus' life is right here. Teacher, they asked. Which of these is the greatest commandment of all of the law? Now, if Jesus picks one, it's blasphemy, because that says that all the rest of them aren't any good. If, if Jesus picks none, how can he be the son of God? But Jesus says this in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now go home and finish reading John chapter, or 1 John. 
4 and 5. What, uh, um, John's going to finish this book by making a defense against the false teachers. He's going to make a defense that Jesus is real, uh, not, not some make-believe thing or, or only spirit. He's going to use words like he was born of water and still has blood. He'll make one final push at the end for Christ's followers to hold on for, hold on for the final prize, eternity. He's going to say, hold each other accountable while you seek God together. But before he does it, in the section we just read, he remembers the message that changed his life forever. To love God and to love people. That those words, those, those four short verses... They would form, they would eventually form the mission of a church in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and many others. And so if we, as we go through the, the foundation of love, like First John, these love notes, then, then if we're going to, like we said last week, flare our nostrils and dig our toes in and, and, and whiten our knuckles up and fight for love, if we're going to see a city turned upside down and transformed, then it can only be boiled down to this. Love God relentlessly. And this isn't some just passive thing that we use to be cute and with the R's and loves and stuff. We really believe it. Like to be a disciple of Jesus, you got to go. And there's a church I used to work for, and you walk in, and it was beautiful. You have flowers everywhere. And... Uh, then you walk in the sanctuary, and they got, like, red flowers up here. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it was just nice and motherly. <laughs> oh, man, when I think of, like, the faith, when I, when I think of pursuing Jesus, it's, it's not some, like, pageant. It, it's a tough, difficult journey that you dig in, and every day you have to decide to fight. And there are some days that you lose. But then there are some days that you kick hell in the teeth because you decided you were going to relentlessly pursue Jesus, relentlessly pursue God. And if we're going to see a city turned upside down, that has got to be the first and greatest commandment of your life. And the second is like it, Jesus said, to love people recklessly. If you've heard it one time, you're going to hear it a thousand times. That Restore church, we're going to love people who don't look like us, think like us, or vote like us. And we're going to go after it, man. We're going to love the people that are easy to love. But we're going to love the people who aren't easy to love. The people who don't like us or the people who won't love us back or the people who even hate us. I don't know who they are, but they might be out there. But we love them. And if it's you, we love you. Um, and sure, every now and then it's going to take a big gesture. It's going to take pulling off to the side of the road and, and push, helping someone push their car. It's going to be driving over in the middle of the night because your, your friend is having some awful, awful thoughts. It's going uh, it's gonna to take big gestures like paying your neighbor's bills just because they, they can't do it this month. I mean, sometimes it will take big gestures, but more often than not, more often than not, loving God and loving people, turning our world upside down is going to lo look like this. It's going to look like love is patient. People of Restored Church are kind. They're not envious, and they never boast. They're, they're not proud. They're, 
They don't dishonor others. They're not self-seeking. They're not easily angered. They, they don't keep any record of wrongs. Restore church delights in the truth. And they protect those who they love. They, they trust those who they love. They, they hope in the eternity of Jesus and they persevere together. And that kind of love will not fail because it is the love that God has given to all of us. And I'm trusting and believing and hoping for God to do some huge gestures through Restore Church. But if we've done anything in the past three years, it's remained faithful in the small ones. And I know that God is trusting us to keep that up. Let's pray. Hey, God, I, I'm thankful for, um, for you and God for your grace and your mercy, your patience, your consistency, God, your, uh, your love for us. I'm thankful that you are patient and kind. God, I'm thankful that uh, you're forgiving. I'm thankful that you look at our lives and, and say, I'm going to pay for that one. And God, we can't repay you. But God, what we can do is, is do what you ask to, to keep your commandments and to love one another. So God, we're asking for you to help us. Lord, will you do that? Um, I pray that restore is an image of what your love looks like for now and forever. God, I, I pray that you are proud of us and how we love each other and, and love those in our lives. God, but ultimately, we get our example of love from you. We pray, uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.